0: From Grafton, West Virginia, this is the Living Unleashed podcast. Hi, and welcome to Living Unleashed. I'm your host, Alex Runneman. This is a production growing out of my passion for identifying, questioning, and addressing the many challenges I face as an entrepreneur, father, and as a resident of my small Appalachian hometown. From community revitalization, to work and business, to health, and everything in between, join me as we discuss the challenges, but most importantly, search for solutions that may assist you in your quest to unleash yourself and your community. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Reneman from Unleash Tiger, and I'm here with Whitney Nevins, a nursing instructor at Penn State, who also, by the way, is a Grafton native and a WVU grad. Uh, you may know her or have known her uh, years ago as Whitney Whitescarver. Whitney, uh, thanks for coming on the program.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
0: Hey. So obviously the focus here is is COVID nineteen and what's going on. We've interviewed f- several folks. I really wanted to bring you on because well, for lots of reasons, and we'll get into that. Uh, but you have, a, a, I think, a unique perspective that we've not really heard from much. I think, at least in in our area. And I'd like to ask you just from your perspective. Uh, well, first, just tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, you know, nursing instructor. What does that mean? What's what, what what's your role in healthcare?
1: Okay. So um, I have been an RN registered nurse since two thousand one. So about 19 years now, but um, for the last eight years, I have been teaching the nurses of tomorrow. So I um, teach a whole bunch of different courses for um, Penn State nursing program for their college of nursing.
0: Perfect. So from your perspective, why don't you give us a lowdown on this COVID-19 and what's going on and, and just let's hear from, from you and your words.
1: Okay. So, um, because I've been a little bit of a keyboard warrior now that I'm home, uh, teaching from home, uh, I have seen a lot of misinformation, just even on what the um, COVID-19 virus is itself. You know, I hear a lot of coronaviruses been around forever, this isn't new. Um, And you're right, coronaviruses have been around for a long time, they mostly exist in animals. Um, And like I, I said earlier, they are kind of like saying, like I would say, the white scarvers have been around for a long time because we have, we've been around, but like COVID-19 is one type of that. And it's actually sort of a sibling to SARS. So it would be like SARS would be my brother. <laughs> and then there's never been another me until now. There hasn't been another um, COVID-19 or, or SARS coronavirus too until now. So just so you know, it is novel, it is new, um, but it can get confusing when you see it referred to as as those names.
0: Yeah, it does. And, you know, we, we've talked about this program, and I think it's worth revisiting a little bit. I mean, it also gets compared quite a bit to the seasonal flu. And can you just dig in a little bit again from your perspective? What what? How is it different?
1: Yeah. So as an educator, um, one of the first things I, I kind of really helped me in my practice was to learn that adults when they're learning about new things draw on perspective from things that they've experienced in the past and I think when you think respiratory virus that's pretty contagious that is all we know everybody who's alive that's really all we know is is the flu that's all we've really had in our day-to-day lives so it makes sense that people are comparing this to the flu um in comparison COVID-19 is more contagious Um, It isn't just contagious by the droplets um, and touching things we're looking at now. It seems to be also contagious fecal oral like GI bugs, too. So now we're seeing more roots of transmission. It seems to hang in the air longer when someone coughs or sneezes, which even when you're not sick, sometimes we'll cough or sneeze just a little bit. It's allergy season you know you swallow the wrong way so even if you're not sick you can still be spreading it if you're carrying it um and then also it does tend to make a lot more of the people who get it sick like really sick so it's almost more like a viral pneumonia than it is like our regular flu
0: gotcha and that, uh, that makes sense and, and the death rate seem again data still coming in But the death rate seems to be, uh, at least from from what we can tell so far, different than the flu as well, right?
1: Correct. So most of the time, um, I can even use the swine flu pandemic. Um, So something that we had that was relatively as contagious as this was the swine flu pandemic of 2009. Um, And it affected about 100 million Americans because we didn't do anything to try to stop that. And the reason why is because even with 100 million people getting it, 12,000 people died. So it, it really wasn't that fatal. Um, it did tend to make younger people a little sicker than it did the elderly population, which was unusual. But in the end of the day, it wasn't a giant burden on health care and it didn't cost a lot of lives. Whereas with this, um, we have anywhere, some are saying like 1% seems to be the conservative estimate. World Health Organization has it at... Um, I believe, now. Um, It's variable as the information comes in because more people get sick, some die, some don't, different populations, you know, not everybody has the same diet, not everybody has the same ethnicity, and all of those things can affect. So we won't really know for sure the difference until after this is all over, we can look back in hindsight, but from what we know now, it is um, much more um, likely to make you sick and put you in the hospital, more like anywhere from 10 to 25% of people who get this. So one, anywhere between one in 10 and one in five who get this end up in the hospital. And about half of those 40 to 50% are under 50. So while only 1%
0: of the people who die are
1: under 50, that doesn't mean that those people aren't getting really sick and ending up in the hospital with pneumonia. They are.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And it, it may sound, you know, all the, somebody listening at home might be, or watching at home, maybe hearing all these statistics, yeah, 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 he almost washes over them. But what does this mean to them? I mean, how serious is this? What actions should they be taking or should we be taking?
1: Um, yeah, it, it is serious. And I think a lot of things, um, I, I see probably too much, just the impact of the, the case fatality rate and people get arguing over that. But the truth is we really need to plan for both, I mean obviously we have flattening the curve and staying home and um, you know, trying to keep from getting sick and keep from overwhelming our healthcare system because so many get sick and need them this time around. But also um, no, you know, make plans for when you do get sick because it may happen. And especially when you have um, you know, the elderly that live alone, we need to be checking on them frequently. Um, Check on them every few days if they're not sick. And if they're sick, check in daily to make sure that they haven't gotten sick enough that they need to go to the hospital but are too sick to, or they've gotten sick enough to go to the hospital and are too sick to call for help. Um, Same with even single parents uh, who are raising small children by themselves please check in with single parents and make sure that they're doing okay, especially if they get sick, so that if anything happens, you know, there aren't children left alone with really, really sick parents um, or even ones that pass away.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I think we, as a community in West Virginia, tend to do a really good job taking care of one another. Uh, But just that perspective, the idea that somebody could be suffering right across the road or up up the holler or whatever it may be, and uh, nobody's reaching out, and so I I think that's really wise. And we can do that without, you know, we don't have to barge in the door and pat them on the back and hug them. We can we can stand out. We can call. We can knock on the door. Whatever. Um, Yeah, that's it's a great point to reach out and connect. Obviously, we've got lots of different ways to to connect with folks nowadays. I think that's great advice. Um, what are you, on the front lines right now, what are you seeing and hearing through through your students and through through the organization you work with there at Penn State? Uh, what's happening from your perspective?
1: Um, well, where I work, all the students are safe at home. So we ended up not bringing them back after spring break. Yeah. Um, and spring break was in the beginning of March, which seems, doesn't it, not seem forever ago at this point. Crazy. As much as it happens every day. it just seems like that was a lot more than just you know two and a half week or three and a half weeks ago it seems a long time ago. but so they are pretty much hunkered down in their homes at taking online courses and um, a few of them work in healthcare care, um, long term care and such, um, but not in communities yet that have been impacted. I do belong to some nursing forums online, and um, it seems like when hospitals are hit, they're hit hard and they're hit fast, with a lot of patients that come in sick.
0: So, so what I'm hearing this we all, all want to, and I see lots of people posting on Facebook. Thanks, thanks to healthcare workers, and absolutely, and that's great. and We should give them our gratitude and our and our honor. But well, what can we do as the average citizen? What, what, healthcare, what do healthcare care workers want to tell us? Do this or stop doing this. What is it that we can do to help make life a little bit easier on the front lines?
1: Um, honestly, so we have um, our uh, director of health. I think she's secretary of health for our state. I I'd watch her update every day. And one of the best things that she says um, is stay calm, stay home and stay safe. And that's really, first and foremost, if, if you want us to be able to take great care of you and keep the fatality rate down so that everyone's getting the best care possible, we can put as much effort and resources into everyone who's sick that we can, we really need you to listen to what your local and um, state government is saying to you and directing you to do. Um, it's. I just can't emphasize that. That's truly the best thing you can possibly do for me and any other healthcare provider is to stay home.
0: Yeah, that's, it seems easy enough, right? It seems like an easy ask. That's a chip shot for most of us. Um, that, that said, are, I know folks, I know, you know, my wife is wanting, you know, let's make masks. Let's do things. My kids want to do stuff. Are there things we can do? I mean, people want to do something, and we're just in our human nature. We want to be able to provide and have a, have a productive uh, output. What, are there things they can do that are helpful? Are, they, are making them out? Or that, is that really, is there a shortage out there? Um, will that be helpful? What, what can folks do?
1: Um, That's a really good question. So um, I think it's wonderful. I've seen people making masks. I think that's amazing. Um, That happened because the CDC made guidelines for just this situation that actually break a lot of their former guidelines simply because we have to find some way to mitigate risk for our healthcare workers until we can get them equipment that catches up with all of these people. And so bandanas and cloth masks were part of that. And I believe Joe Manchin asked you guys to make them. Um, I would say in a local community, because these things are a last resort beyond any other um, measures, which is like reusing masks um, and kind of only using them in certain circumstances and all kinds of other strategies. Uh, ask your local healthcare um institutions maybe give them a call and see if that's what they really want um, and also if, or if you know a healthcare worker and you know just ask if, if that's something that they really could use because it, it's really difficult to know what communities would need those right now and which ones
0: don't yeah, that's perfect. I, you know, we, we're going to have our, our look. We just had Dr. Bender on. We're going to have some other folks on as well to just continue to try to get the message out to to people in this area and beyond uh, what they can do. So I think it's great advice. Hey, you were on this pretty early. I got to give you kudos for that. Um, you know, this is I'm not I'm not trying to necessarily this is not told you so tour or anything like that. But but you you were out there in front of this thing saying this is this is this is real, guys. So what is it now? You know, as people are kind of catching them going okay, this seems real and we're all kind of on board to the most, for the most part. What, what are you seeing now that maybe, maybe others aren't that we probably want to maybe give it a little extra attention?
1: Um, what I'm seeing now is what I've been saying for a month would happen. So <laughs> um, there really isn't anything new that I am seeing happening. Everything that's going on right now is exactly kind of what we would predict with a typical um virus that would have the ability to transmit to two or three people from every one person that gets sick um, which means we double our um we're doubling about every two to three days i think we're down up to every two days in the united states now because we're a bigger country um, and spread out more we're going to have that happen um, whereas other countries that are smaller might have every three days just simply because there's um less communities spreading out. It's some of the exponential growth stuff, as I know, a little bit much for everyone. But um, just know that I think it's really easy when you don't see it around you. Um, Human brains are adapted to respond to immediate threats. And um, by the time you're really seeing a lot of people get sick around you, it's kind of too late to do the things that you need to do to keep that from being overwhelming in your community. So it's a really strange concept to do something that really is pretty restrictive. I know you said staying home is, is, you know, a chip shot. But for a lot of people working from home and you have kids at home now is hard. Um, Trying to teach your kids from home, that's hard too. You have people that are trying to be parents and still have their job and then be teachers too. And it's just a lot. And so to do all of that when you don't know anybody in your town that's sick, and you only have 20 people or 50 people in your whole state that are sick, it seems like overkill, but it's not. I promise you, it's not. Um, If it hasn't started to grow a lot in your state yet, it's going to. Um, Two Mondays ago, so about 10 or 11 days ago in Pennsylvania, we had 76 cases and no deaths, and today we have over 1,600 cases and 16 deaths. So that's how fast it can grow. And you go from not knowing anybody and it seeming really far away to it's suddenly really close and surrounds you. And by that time, you know, your chance to really do something great to um, stop the spread or slow the spread is kind of past.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's that's really wise. I mean, I think the, the actions have to happen now. Certainly, I say that now for for West Virginia, we're in that we're in that spot where uh, we've got more cases in there because testing was slow to come around here. Um, but it but it's certainly um, it's coming. But I think in, in most folks, I mean, I don't think we have one in Taylor County yet as of recording right now. A few hours later, who knows? I mean, any confirmed? We put it that way. Right. I'm sure it's here. Uh, but are there any confirmed cases? I don't I don't know yet. But um, you know, to that point this is kind of scary and you mentioned people staying at home and, and having their kids in there and everything. But, but I, if I can get a little personal from it, I mean, you're a mother, you're now, you're not working from home. And, and you know, you obviously understand a lot of the science and the, and the medicine behind this, but, but what, what are you doing? What are things that you can offer as a, as a tip for folks that might be in your spot or, you know, a similar situation where now their kids are home, they're home, they're trying to work their kids are maybe, maybe they're scared, maybe they aren't, maybe they're asking questions. What tips can you offer folks?
1: Um, I think the biggest thing is just having patience with yourself and having patience with your kids. This is a huge transition for everybody. Um, It's really kind of, it's traumatic for everybody. And so this isn't the time to be hard on ourselves. It's not the time to be hard on our kids. Um, We know how to, to express our feelings. Not that everybody necessarily does freely, but we know how Kids often express their uh, feelings through acting out and certain behaviors, and so just know that they they don't have the adult abilities to cope with all of this in the same way that we do. Um, it's certainly not a hopeless situation. We're certainly not doomed. It's just a situation that requires action, and so we can explain that to our kids that it doesn't mean that you know we're all in huge trouble. Um, especially if anyone has teenagers like me, all the stuff that they see from their friends, it's just, there's a lot of, of misinformation that's really scary going around there. And so I would encourage you to be informed, um, to share age appropriate information about what you're doing. You know, frame it as we're doing really good things for all the people in our community by staying home and making sure that we're okay. We're doing really good things for their grandparents by staying home and staying safe and not being out there Um, and it's a hardship for everyone it's a hardship for kids it's a hardship for adults Um, but we can get through this Um, it isn't hopeless and even if it is scary um, if we just kind of stay calm um, follow the recommendations and the guidance uh, stay alert to what those are um, you know i think i think we'll get through with hopefully better results than um, if we just sort of let this rip through
0: yeah so you use the word hope uh, at least the root word hope and hopefully what what can we look at? i always try in any situation I man. i try to find the, the gratitude i try to find the silver lining what can we what can we take from this after this experience is over and obviously we don't nobody knows what's going to happen but unfortunately there's there's going to be there, there already has been deaths there're going to be deaths people will be sick there'll be lives disrupted the economy there's all kinds of things but what can we look to and go, but we now know this, we've done this, this thing will happen. What, what things are you looking at and saying, at least these are silver linings?
1: Um, yeah. So in responding to that, I just want to have the disclaimer. Uh, I'm not making light of this. It, it, is, it is a difficult situation. Um, mm. Probably many of us will have someone close to us who gets really, really sick or dies from this. And that's going to be hard. It's going to be a lot of grief. There's a lot of worries about the economy and, I, I, and and whether we're going to be able to pay our bills. Thankfully, it looks like we're getting some relief from unemployment and even the federal government with that. And that's wonderful. Um, but I think also there is sort of a gift in losing some things that it kind of makes you realize two things. What you had before and you become more grateful for that. It also makes you realize what you still have, even after all of those things aren't there. Um, And the other thing I think that might come through is, and and, uh, my hope, is that we learn that we really do need to be connected, and not just electronically, but in just our humanity, in helping each other, in compassion towards each other. Um, And I see a lot of that. I see a lot of the helpers and the healers emerging. And and even in in the midst of the TP hoarding and the panic, I'm still seeing a lot of people, like the people making masks, the people that reach out. You know, I've had people because they know I'm a healthcare worker saying, how can we help? Um, And I see a lot of that. So just, I think we might learn how important it is again, that we're uplifting each other.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I I, I am always uh, I I never just pass by where somebody's being a helper. I like to take a moment and just be grateful for that because uh, it it is neat to see that rise up. And if you don't have a challenge, you never you never have those opportunities. And I know that's a weird juxtaposition, but it is the the world we're in. Whitney Evans, uh, Grafton native and mountaineer, now a nursing instructor at Penn State. Thank you for coming on and sharing your your perspective on this. I mean, this uh, hopefully your perspective brings value to somebody else. If, if you're out there, you're hearing this, you've got other questions, reach out to us, let us know. We're happy to bring anybody else back on. If we want to visit somebody else that wants to come on, just, we're just trying to get the message out there of what this is and uh, how we can take some agency and, and do what we need to do about it. So Whitney, thanks for coming on the program. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure.
0: All right. And also thank you for all of the trainings and your army that's out there right now, taking care of all of us, and hopefully we're all doing the right thing and we're not overwhelming them, but um, we get this curve flattened. But, but yeah, thank you. I appreciate all you're doing and, and all of the healthcare workers, obviously. But thanks again.
1: Thanks.